With the great sadness in all of our hearts for the loss of our fantastic Queen earlier this week, Queen Elizabeth II, we would like to rebroadcast an interview I did with a young lady called Ella Caulfield. It's an extraordinary story of courage. The reason we are re-releasing this is the Queen was a massive advocate for people with sight loss and indeed those who are totally blind and was patron for the RNIB, which is the Royal National Institute of the Blind. We are picking up the interview as I'm just asking Ella if she would be kind enough to tell us her story. Ella, would you mind telling Draycott Diaries and myself a little bit about your story and how you lost your sight and what indeed living with sight loss means to you? I'm very happy to do that. So... I was born fairly normally. Nobody thought anything was wrong. And then at about a year old, maybe 18 months when I was going to nursery, the nursery, nursery teachers noticed that I was a bit different. I'd look at things very close up compared to lots of other children. So they suggested to my parents that they get me checked out. At this point, we were living in, living in London. So they took me to our local hospital, who then referred me to Moorfields Eye Hospital. I was taken there for some tests and it was established that I was very short-sighted because my eyes hadn't developed as they should. No one really knew why, but my eyes are more rugby ball-shaped than football-shaped. That was fine, and so from that point on, I wore glasses. And then aged four, again, for some unknown reasons, I suffered two retinal detachments in both eyes. I, as a four-year-old, probably didn't notice that there was anything particularly wrong, so hadn't said anything until we went to our local hospital, now down in Somerset, for just a checkup. And the doctor there told my mum to get me to the Bristol Eye Hospital as a matter of urgency, which she did. At the eye hospital, I had two operations over a couple of weeks to try and save the eyesight in both eyes. Unfortunately, they weren't able to save the sight in my left eye, but I did remain with the sight in my right eye. I was completely blind in my left eye from that point. No light perception at all, nothing, and I can't remember life before that. In my right eye, I was still extremely short-sighted. The font sizes that I could read would be like at least font size 20 or above. It had to be that. If I was watching the TV, I'd probably sit about a foot away from it to get a clear picture. I used magnifiers at school to read anything that wasn't printed large enough. Distance was always an issue for me, so seeing... And playing with my peers in the playground wasn't always as easy for me as it would have been for others. But I just got on with it because I didn't know any different. And I think I have quite a positive outlook on life. And I needed to carry on because there was no point not carrying on. That level of vision was stable for the next 11 years until I was 15. I was in the final week of year 10 at school and I noticed a change in my vision. I was losing my peripheral vision in my right eye and wasn't sure what was going on. I thought I might have just have been tired and needed a break. It was the last week of the summer term. I told my parents and my parents decided that it would probably be a better idea to get it checked out. So we went up to the Bristol Eye Hospital and they confirmed that it was another retinal detachment in my right eye. So over that summer of 2015, I had several operations and they continued through into the beginning of 2016 to try and save what vision there might have been left. Unfortunately, they weren't able to do that. So 
I've been left with only a little bit of light perception in my right eye since then. And the light is only really there if it's very bright. So if I'm looking at the sun or directly into a light. And that's been the state of my vision for the last five years. It was a change. It was, I had to go through a learning curve after 2015. There were lots of things that I'd been reluctant to do when I was younger. I'd had support from the vision support team from County Council. They'd helped me with learning how to touch type and use computers. So I had all of that to back me up. But I was stubborn. I'd refused to learn Braille because I didn't see the use for it. But once I'd lost my sight, I did see the use for it. So I learned Braille over the summer of 2016 in the knowledge that I wanted a guide dog. I'd I'd wanted a guide dog before I lost the rest of my sight because it was bad enough then. Over the summer of 2016, I learned to use a long cane, which is the cane that if you stand it up, rests about your waist to walk around more independently because guide dogs suggest that having a bit of independent movement without a guide dog means that you will work better with a guide dog. And here we are today. I've come a long way in the past five years. I still have a lot to learn. I'm still effectively living at home at the moment. So I rely on my parents and my sister for a lot of help. But particularly in the last two years since getting my guide dog Rio, I've become far more independent and far more confident. Well, Ella, thanks for sharing that. I didn't actually, I didn't realise myself that the total loss of sight is really quite recent. So that really only happened about five years ago. Yes. Mm hmm. And how did that affect you emotionally? I find it difficult to say, I think. I'd like to say it didn't particularly affect me too much. I definitely had periods throughout the year following. I could probably go two weeks without crying and then I would have a complete breakdown. And I think that's how I coped with it, which possibly isn't the best way of coping with it. The following year from 2015 to 16 was my year 11, which is when I sat my GCSEs. And I like to think that having the stress of GCSEs kept me from thinking about the loss of sight but at the same time having to deal with the sight loss kept me from stressing about GCSEs so I feel like I got through year 11 on adrenaline which I think has stood me in quite good stead I'm quite a determined person so I feel like I might have ignored the emotional response to the sight loss but in some ways that's done me good because I've just been able to get on with things. It was interesting actually listening to you, Ella, because I think what you said about diversion, when I mm-hmm. had my diagnosis and recently um, I had the, the news, because at the moment I've got 10% sight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel very lucky in that respect, but I recently had the results of a test, which means I will lose my sight completely. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pressure, actually, I think, on people who lose their sight. You must have help, you know, you must have help. You must emotionally, you must mm-hmm. pour out your stuff. But sometimes I think I'm, I'm like you, Ella, I think I'm, I would prefer to go down the diversionary tack yeah. and, you know, carry on with life as it is. I find it's, it's the diversionary tactics, but then also just talking to your friends and your family. They're the ones who see you in the day to day. They understand what you're going through. A professional therapist, psychologist, whatever, they might be able to tell you what's going on with your brain emotionally, but they can't support you in the long run. It's better to have supportive friends and family around you is what I've found. I I 100 percent agree, Ella. The only thing is, I feel that I think one of the um, things I did was I didn't talk to family and I didn't talk to friends I just decided that I kind of oh you know I've had this fantastic career doing whatever and I'm you know I, I wanted to deal with it myself I think there are so many 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 ways of dealing with it but 
Ella, this is about you, not about me. You carried on in mainstream school, didn't you? Yes. You didn't take take the options of doing anything else. How does that work then, Ella? Because you ha- now have pretty well no sight. How did it work in those last couple of years at school? Because you were taking some really important exams. I owe that completely to the learning support staff and teachers in general at my school. I attended the Kings of Wessex in Cheddar and they were totally amazing. I had talked with the vision support team teacher from the council that I'd been working with for years and years. She did suggest going to one of the specialist schools, but I was not up for doing that. I didn't want to leave the familiar environment. I didn't want to leave the friends I'd made. I didn't want to leave the teachers who had been so supportive to me already. I was I was already not in a normal situation. They still had to adapt things for me, but they definitely did go above and beyond. One specific learning support assistant who was particularly good at maths, which is the subject that I I was particularly keen on and have continued to do. I owe an awful lot to her. Without her, I don't think I would have been able to stay at the school. I would have had to go to a specialist school for the visually impaired. It was all about learning together, I found. No one knew exactly what needed to be done what I would need. County Council were very good about providing us with lots of equipment. So school had a Braille printer so that anything could be printed up in Braille for me. Once I had learnt Braille, which I did do, we had a machine that you could raise tactile diagrams. So we called it the toaster because apparently it looked a bit like a toaster. You'd draw on some special paper and then it would go into the machine, heat up and the where the ink was, it would bubble up. So I could feel what was drawn out through year 11 and into sixth form where I stayed at King's. I had support in lessons. I would have a redescribed for lessons and also in exams. I think also the emotional support that they provided. Like I said, I could go two or three weeks strong and then suddenly have a bit of an emotional breakdown because something suddenly hit me. And they were very good about helping me out with those times because occasionally it would happen at school. They were just great friends to me, were very supportive. And I think perhaps it was my determination to do it, but I just couldn't see myself going anywhere else. It was a good school for academics, which is what I wanted to do. And I felt very comfortable there and everyone was very supportive to me there. So I wanted to stay. And like I said, it was just a matter of working together to figure out what I needed and what was the best way to get around the new situation that I found myself in. I like to use the term renavigation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because a lot of people say, oh, well, how do you do this and how do you do that? And well, what does that happen? You know, and, and you can spend an a, enormous amount of time trying to explain to people. But I simply say to people, sight loss, renavigation. Give me a tool, give me a guide dog, give me the things I need to help me do the things I've always done. Yeah. We can do almost everything that. A sighted person can do, we just need to figure out how to do it in a slightly different way. 100%. But let's big you up for a minute, because I can't help but do that. What A-levels did you manage to get? And uh, where has that led you, Ella Caulfield? A-levels, I did maths, further maths and chemistry, and I also did history at AS level. In the end, I got an A in my history AS level, A in my chemistry, an A in my further maths, and an A star in my maths. And that's enabled me to get into Oxford University, where I am in my first year. 
Thank you, Ella, for being so frank and really giving everybody here a sense of what losing your sight means and indeed that it doesn't have to end your life. It can indeed, in fact, I would go as far as to say it can enhance your life with re-navigation skills and those include guide dogs and all the fantastic equipment that is now available to people with sight loss and those who are totally blind. And a lot of that would not have happened had not the Queen been such a momentous energy behind people and re-education of disability. So thank you, Your Majesty. And may I also thank Jeff Farney for re-editing this programme and to everybody on Draycott Diaries and to everybody listening, let us hope that our wonderful Queen rests in endless peace.